Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and according to the Surgeon General, women should not drink beer during pregnancy because of the risk of birth defects. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we're reading Geek Love by Catherine Dunn, and starting with a beverage. So this doesn't require too much explanation from the book. This beer is called Citra Spectacle. It is by Evil Twin Brewing New York City in collaboration with Root and Branch. And it is a double dry hopped double IPA with Citra. And the explanation is that this book focuses on a freak show, which is quite a spectacle. A circus and a freak show. And it's quite a nice, quite a nice IPA. Is it a lot? They already sold out of this. Sorry. Uh, I mean, I guess you could look at it as well, but it's really (laughs) a taste thing. And I think on the can, there's a picture of a different can of beer, which is is weird. It's like a Inception. sort of Matryoshka beer. Instead of a spectacle, it's a tasticle. <laughs> that sounds are you into, similar are you into to tasticles? something <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you buy these beers by the sack. Uh, no, this is, uh, it's a picture of a different double dry hop, double IPA that Root and Branch makes called Do We Live in a Society of Spectacle? I don't know what that really, Maybe I they guess just is based on that. did that one, but with just Citra? Maybe. Some sort of weird yeah. thing. It's a great beer, Citra. I actually just recently made beer, and I just... Uh, oh, you gotten back just, into that? I just, someone gave me... A, someone was going to throw it out, like, hey, someone bought me a, a one-gallon beer kit. And I was like, fuck it, one gallon? If it's terrible, I'll just drink it fast. It's, <laughs> That's two hours worth of beer. Yeah, it's like, I'm like, I won't get me through an episode of the podcast. But then I looked at the kit, and it was like a random IPA. So I then just ordered an ounce of spit, uh, Citra hops to just dump in there as well. Which for one gallon, that's a tremendous amount of hops to put in. <laughs> so shoot, so it'd probably be all right. No, no, I'll drink it next week. I mean, if you're making it like that, did you did you put it all in? That's going to be like a West Coast one because it's. I dry hopped it. Oh, you fancy I, boy! Uh, I I dry hopped it, and I also when I was brewing it, I had uh, I forget we had bought this a, a while ago at Christmas time marshmallows, but like the Lucky Charms kind of marshmallows to put in hot chocolate, and mm. then it was in the back of the closet. We're like, this is these can't be good anymore. So I dumped a whole bunch of those in there, too. So it's like a Lucky Charms Marshmallow Dry Hopped IPA. Interesting. Diabetes. I don't have a name for it yet. I'll work on it, though. So this beer is fantastic. Uh, so Geek Love is a novel that was published in 1989 by Catherine Dunn, who, if you're wondering who Catherine Dunn is or was, you're not alone, because I never fucking heard of her. And this book was recommended to Nor us by, by two uh, listeners slash patrons. So we, we had to read it at that point. So... Let's start with the book. It follows the the Banuskis. Banuskis. So it starts. Okay, it's a very strange book. It is called Geek Love, but it's not about high school computer nerds. It is. It's not written in Leet. (laughs) (laughs) It is not. (laughs) Certainly, it's actually about a circus sideshow. Well, it's really about a family that runs a circus. And sort of this is like even page one of the book where the family, the the mother and father, they decide to intentionally cause birth defects in their children so they can get weird ass children. They uh, did drugs, you know, pharmaceuticals, radiation. They don't even go into detail about exactly what all they are. It's just kind of like they wanted to have freaky children. I kind of want to know where they got the radiation I think yep. the mom just stood next to a microwave for nine months. <laughs> that is not how that works. Okay, but I have a beer for one of them. <laughs> Did you see the South Park where they had medical marijuana and and then the, the dads were like, oh, how do we get that? Well, you need to have cancer, dude. Oh, so were they with the bouncy they balls? They put their balls in the microwave. <laughs> and so their balls were like the size of fucking like those, yoga ball, like medicine those, balls. Those, uh, those bouncy things, hop, hop of things that yeah, kids have? Yeah, they're bouncing they're around on, yeah. The, on their balls. <laughs> So I'm pretty sure that is how it works, Nate. <laughs> South Park wouldn't lie to us. Never. Of course not. Okay, so they have several <laughs> children. And well, in fact, some of them just like died in infancy. But okay, they have the oldest child is named Artie or Arturo. And he's like half man, half dolphin. He has like flippers instead of arms. And legs. He has no limbs. He's just like a torso with little paddles on it. Yeah. He's kind of like a like turtle. A to- <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like that thing you put in the bathtub that you wind. Oh, it's yeah. Arms, it's arms Weird flip. little swimming guy thing. Yeah. It, but it kept describing him as being hairless all the time, Paul. So then uh, I figured, I, I just pictured more of a dolphin thing. But anyway, and then the second, the book is told through 
the eyes of, and I'm skipping the second one intentionally, uh, through the eyes of Ollie or Olympia, who is a humpback, a hunchback midget albino. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, dude. Dwarf, Nate. Little dwarf. Person. Little person. All right. So <laughs> she is 30, M, mom. 36 inches tall at adulthood and also is completely bald and has to wear sunglasses. And then the youngest child, who's just called the chick, does he have a name other than that? I don't know. Fortunato. Fortunato, which means lucky. That's right. He does have a special power, but he looks normal. Uh, then there are two other children that are actually Siamese twins. They have like two torsos. They're like upper half is two people. So they have like two heads, two shoulders, two torsos. They have four but shoulders. Then four shoulders, <laughs> right? That's what I mean. Two sets of shoulders. But then they sort of like merge in the middle and have one set of hips and legs. Anyway, and uh, they're named uh, Iffy and Ellie, and I have a beer for them. This is called Dream Team. <laughs> uh, this is an 8% uh, IPA by Lone Pine. And we did have it on a different episode, but I, in a past and or future episode, but it was just too good. And again, this is definitely a good beer. Uh, a bit hoppier. It's more hoppy than... Juicy than New Englandy, but you know it's fine. Citra, Mosaic, Galaxy, Amarillo, Simcoe, eight uh, percent. First round draft pick, as I said before <laughs> in the other episode. <laughs> anyway, it's very nice. We should say that this beer, along with many others, are brought to us by our our pals over at Patreon, who are just the coolest people we know. If you're listening, we right know on, several people. Uh, we're in the. It's in the tens. <laughs> Like one ten, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> ten of people support this podcast. Double digits, bro. It's gonna take us a very long time to get out of double digits. <laughs> uh, but for you know, head over to Patreon. I'm sure you've heard the spiel. But you know, what are you waiting for? You can get all sorts of cool things like voting for our monthly book poll, get early access to episodes, um, get your name shouted out on the podcast, and even get free shit like a rad official Drunk Guys Book Club sticker, pint glass, or even copy of the special read-along book for the Patreon-exclusive episodes, which, as of right now, I'm not sure which book we're reading, but head on over to patreon.com. You can find out more about that. Uh, all right, so back to the book, because we've really accomplished nothing so far. Yeah, so um, most of the book is the childhood, a told through the eyes of Ollie or Olympia. It's just talking about their childhood, but then there is this, like, the biggest part in the beginning, which is actually Olympia as a adult, trying to find out about her daughter, Miranda, which is definitely a reference to The Tempest. But we'll just talk about uh, the childhood first, I guess. The parents, they, like, run a circus. It's called the... It's like the Fabulon or something the like Fabulon. that. The Fabulon. Very, very gay. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulon. Just, like a gay robot. You know, and, yeah. <laughs> The children, they've just kind of, like, lived with their parents in, like, a camper van for their entire lives, and they have very little understanding about what uh, what it's like, what norms are like, as they're called. Oh, the norms. But the kids feel isolated. So, okay, the main part of the plot actually has to do with, well, the oldest child and the youngest child. The oldest child, which is the... Flipper boy. Flipper boy, who is, like definitely the uh, villain of the novel. He is an asshole. And, but he wants everyone to love him. He's the most special he wants. And he will actively try to hurt people who are, might be more special and more famous or more influential. And he ends up starting a cult, but n- not till... Not till uh, halfway through the book. Would you say that he's a believer in people power? Some people's. This is People Power, uh, one of those beers that a bunch of other companies made a version of. Uh, this one is from Non Sequitur, which is a nomad brewer like Evil Twin used to be, where they just get other people to brew it for them. This is a New England IPA. So this has, a, I don't know this hop, it's called Brew One, like B-R-U, the number one, and a Zaka, and it has, the list smells... Smells like pineapple, kumquat, and supporting civil rights. <laughs> it tastes similar to that. I don't taste the civil rights, but <laughs> I definitely taste the pineapple and a little bit civil of the Civil rights taste like that for some people. Yeah, well, you know, I guess 
It's it's possible. This is like a pineapple drink with beer in it. That sounds nice. It's surprisingly a little bit bitter. The aftertaste is kind of bitter. It's interesting. It's not at all what I expected, but also I could never expect something like this. So, all right. Well, there you go. People power. Well, I think we had another one of these by... Finback and we've had evil twins, I think. Had a whole bunch. Non sequitur. Speaking of non sequiturs, back to the book. Yeah, book. <laughs> Very strange. A lot of it has to do with the, the older child, but then it's also a really big deal when the youngest child is born because at first he comes out completely normal, like as an infant, like the, on the day he's born, the parents are literally disappointed that this youngest child, that he looks normal. I'm like, oh no, we've done something wrong. You know, he has 10 fingers and toes. Fuck. The, the mom was like, depressed and they were just gonna they're like all right let's leave him somewhere we don't want him this yeah, is useless. somewhere at age <laughs> at, after you know which eight, most 12 weeks or something <laughs> like that they uh they say they're gonna leave him somewhere they're literally gonna leave him on somebody's doorstep like or a grocery store isn't it? Like, was it even store. 12 weeks i thought it was like that they're just like all right next town it was it was, pretty uh, soon. It was okay it was it was pretty close but as they're like oh, trying to driving around the little town, trying to figure out what place to leave it and trying to write a note and stuff like that. It turns out the kid has telekinesis because he literally uses his telekinesis to grab his mom and rip off her bra so he can get to her boobs. Man, that's quite <laughs> a power. <laughs> With great power comes great responsibility. It's like the... Uh... <laughs> It's like the Patrick Stewart character in Extras. Yeah. <laughs> and then her shirt comes yeah. off. And I've, I've seen everything. <laughs> yeah, so then they were like, oh, this is a promising child. We'll keep him. This could be useful in some way. Yes, um, superpowers could be useful in some way. <laughs> and within a, a year or so, you know, before the kid's a year old, the Artie, Arturo, the, the dolphin boy, uh, he tries to smother him the, the little kid but the kid like wakes up and then like uses telekinesis to throw him across the room and he gets hurt gets knocked out and stuff like that so he saves himself i think it's glossed over but it's clear it's it's have it hinted at that already had killed at least one other child already that way yeah because there's the part where they talk about the kid the dead kids in the jars <laughs> that they show off yeah as another freak show exhibit mm-hmm. they keep all of their uh either miscarriages or children that died at a young age in formaldehyde jars on display including the child with a head coming out of his spine in the back so it's looking at his another head is looking at his butt all the time well you'll know if you missed one wiping that's yeah <laughs> or he'll just get pooped in his nose all the time <laughs> and there was another another kid there who they just said looked like a pan full of lasagna with organs is that, and I think that's the one he killed, right? The one that couldn't move or do anything, and it died when a pillow fell on it? Maybe. I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to remember which one. Actually, I can't imagine that one living. <laughs> <laughs> a pan of organs. Uh, either way, it's now clear Artie is a real prick, and he, he is always a douche to Ollie Olympia, making her, because she's the least impressive. She's just, you know, really interesting to look at, I suppose, but she's not the seal boy or the conjoined twins that play the piano. They make her the announcer. Yeah, and, and so she, she's just kind of, she's a D, D string, uh, like third string freak, and he bush, bitches her around and makes her, makes her push him in his wheelchair and like feed him and you know, like wipe his slippers or something. Um, but he, he eventually realizes that he could use Artie as a uh, he like he goes from hating Artie uh, I'm sorry Chick he goes from hating Chick to being like a very big brotherish to Chick when a new person joins the the troop the weird doctor lady Doctor Phil Doctor yes. Phyllis <laughs> well he also realizes that Chick has another superpower which is the ability to make people like go to sleep or not feel pain if he just like focuses on their head hole I don't really. It doesn't really. Make she drew sense. She, uh, she, first. It's with the horse, right? There's like a horse that's got mush feet. Yeah, it's got, it's got basically like. trench foot for horses or something. Or, like use your psycho psychic powers on its head and make it sleepy so we can cut off its feet or something. Well, the, the traditional cure for horse trench foot is, is shooting it in the head. So 
I think that's for just about every horse ailment. <laughs> yeah, there's that that uh, Far Side comic where oh yeah, it's like like most students, Harry breezed through the chapter on equine medicine, and it's just like every every disease, the treatment in the next column is shoot. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he and then he they have this, and it's not clear, right? Uh, Olympia's like, I just still don't remember. I'm still never sure if if that horse even was moving on its own or he was just making it do that with his mind. And if it even, even if its heart was able to pump or he was just also doing that for the horse, but he starts to have this crazy power over horses, which was the birthday present for the twin girls. They're like, happy birthday. I have a horse with almost some legs. <laughs> <laughs> also, there's a, there's like a flash forward plot that's happening too. Like this is all flashback. And then there's like the modern day plot of Olympia as a grown up living in a apartment like tenement with in her Portland. mother who's senile and doesn't know what's going on, and her adult daughter who doesn't know that that Olympia is her mother, and she just like stalks the daughter and follows her around, and the daughter's like, "Oh, what a surprise! Running into the humpbacked dwarf albino again. This can't be a coincidence." Uh, and she just follows her around, and then the daughter is studying to be medical illustrator. A medical illustrator, a remarkably specific field. I guess it's is it still a real? I guess it's it a still real is thing. a thing. I don't know why. Yeah, Mike, because yeah. I don't know anything about doctoring, but I guess it serves a purpose. This was also the eighties, so they well, hadn't invented cameras expl- yet. <laughs> the way the camera, the way the camera, the way the character just explains it in the throwaway line is, it's. Uh, some things are a lot better in like black and white. Good thing they only had color film. But it, you know, when you remove all the other stuff, you could isolate the I don't know vein or yeah muscle or I'm sure it serves a purpose. Tumor. It sure it definitely serves a plot purpose because she wants desperately to draw this dwarf neighbor she has. I need to paint you. Let me paint me like one of your French girls, Miranda. <laughs> but the dwarf is like, Nah, son, I'm good. She's like, No, I. I want to draw you. I must. I'll give you some tea. Take off all your clothes in my apartment. Because that's normal. Yes, daughter. <laughs> I mean, not daughter. Hold on. There's a funny line about her other paintings. Or not paintings, drawings. Well, actually, before we do that, we should just say Miranda is very normal looking. In fact, she is incredibly beautiful. The only thing slightly weird about her is that she has a small tail. Which you find out when she strips at the strip club for freaks. Yeah. Kind of like the one in Middlesex, but like raunchier. Yeah, Weirder. they do. They go bottomless. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not <laughs> just burlesque. Um, I just really like this line about the, because Miranda has won some sort of award two years in a row for best medical picture or something. And it seems that in the that field, it's not necessarily about the quality of your realistic drawing because probably everybody who is doing that can, can accurately represent things, but it's finding the most ridiculous thing to draw. And one of her things was like, um, first year I did a series on a bodybuilder, technical, illustrative, and predictable. Then uh, last year I went to medical school and did a flayed, emaciated cadaver. Classic, totally predictable. And then she shows another drawing where it's of the guy, fat guy who runs the newsstand naked. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, <laughs> And I just really like... When she's pointing at the picture, and he says, "This this line stuck out for reasons maybe you'll understand." Her long hand taps at the dangling ink scrotum, the nearly invisible penis of the news vendor, and then she write, the character says, "Characteristic of the fat storing pattern in males, the belly seems to swallow the penis, then roots up, literally shortening it." Like, wow, all right. <laughs> well, it's like his dick has like a fat mane. <laughs> like it's, it's like one like of those a, uh, those chow chow dogs, of fat. where it's just like. It looks like it's melting around the the nose. I thought those were just uncircumcised, uh, like regular pugs. dogs. <laughs> <laughs> like the pugs are like the Jewish one. <laughs> like they've been circumcised, had that, that clipped away. All right. So then we find out that uh, Miranda has been stripping at this place more or less. I mean, for money and for fun, I guess. And there's a other lady who's a like big, big, very. Um, Manish woman. Kind of like the <laughs> trunch bowl. Yeah, yeah. And her name is like Mary Lick or something Miss like that. Lick. Miss Lick. And uh, she pays women 
with these weird things to she pays for their she pays them and pays for their surgery to get it fixed and she's going to pay Miranda I forget it was $10,000 or 20,000 something like that which in 1989 was like a billion dollars and she's going to pay her that to get her tail cut off then it goes back to more flashbacks and we're going to learn about the cult that Artie forms so Artie is becomes the star of the circus he has this act where he's literally like swimming around in a tank I guess that was interesting, but... Uh, and, and he answers questions. And he answers questions. They somehow managed to rig up an underwater microphone, because this, this weird dolphin kid, Ken... Well, a guy, a guy, an electrical engineer joins, like, comes mm-hmm. to meet him to, like, give him a, a basically a dick-sucking machine, because he feels bad that no one's going to touch this guy's dick. He's like, nah, dude, I'm good. And instead, he converts him, and the guy leaves his family and starts building things for Artie, including this underwater microphone. Underwater microphone and a bunch of other things. And so... And he, and he never builds the dick-sucking machine? Come on. <laughs> he didn't need it. I need to see a prototype <laughs> of it just to be sure. <laughs> How do you clean the filter on this dick-sucking machine? <laughs> a lot of smegma. Suck it out. Oh, it's like siphoning. <laughs> Siphon out the, the, the cock cheese. Gotta pull away real quick. <laughs> it's like a go-gurt. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he, start, he has this routine cannolis? where... Where the audience talks to him and he talks back and he sort of at <laughs> I know guys I know <laughs> I can taste it right, I've so, run out of cheeses <laughs> that sounds like a challenge okay uh, <laughs> so uh, he has this routine where the audience asks him questions he asks them back and he sort of like almost pretends that he's psychic except not really he's sort of like telling people's fortunes I guess a little bit but then one day Cryptic some bullshit he says yeah yeah some really fat lady says instead of just like tell my fortune tells instead says like oh I've been a I've been a pen pal for years to this guy in jail and he we're gonna get married but he thinks he thinks I'm, you know, skinny and beautiful, but uh, what do I do? And then he comes back and he says something like, um, you know, is, isn't it terrible to be disliked by people just for your appearance? And then he does this whole thing, and then she comes back the next day. Well, actually, she comes back the next day to hear his advice. And, you know, because he's such a weird-looking person, he says something like, you know, I have power over people because I'm weird looking. They find me engaging. They find me interesting. And they listen to me because I'm weird looking. And starting with this one girl, was one lady, sort of like starts a cult, but he uses the weird doctor who was kicked out of medical school. And what they do is they just start amputating parts off of people. First, it's like fingers and toes, and then it's like hands and feet, and then it's arms and legs and stuff like that. Till I guess people just become like torsos, potato sacks. <laughs> he has them start with like lesser things, like one or two fingers at a time, so that they can stop if they aren't worthy. And of course, you mm-hmm. know, you have to work your way up and stay in the cult, and of course, pay to join. Yeah, but, it's uh, like Scientology. He also gives Classic a lot cult. of speeches and shit about being a being in the cult, and he's just like, hey. Hear Me Out. <laughs> this is Hear Me Out by Torch and Crown in the New York. It is an IPA. 6.5%. Unobjectionable. It's not bad. It's a pretty, like a pretty standard New Englandish IPA. Not, nothing overwhelming in any category. Perfectly, perfectly reasonable. I'll give it that. Citrusy-ish. I believe Torch and Crown delivers if you're interested in ordering and you live in New York. Yeah, probably. I can't, you know, after, starting during the quarantine times, breweries were, uh, in New York at least, I'm sure it has happened in plenty of states, The they were given a temporary permission to deliver straight to people's houses. I can't imagine that's going to go away once, you know, whenever the world is normal again, and if it ever, you know, whatever we call normal again. can hope. You know, from the one end, from one end, I don't know how much money. You know, are they losing a lot of? They, is their profit cut down because they now have to you know ship things and deal with that end of the business? But they're also able to ship it. You know, not just to their neighborhood, but to 
literally anywhere in the state. You know, a place like New York, it's quite a range. You know, if you live in, I don't know, fucking Buffalo, you're really not going to see beers from Queens too often. Uh, and certainly not super fresh, but if they're able to just ship it straight to your house, let's hope that doesn't go away. It's glorious. Just a way to hemorrhage money. I was already doing that on beer. Your ba- your backlog of uh, on our list of beers that we have available you know, on demand. Mike's backlog is incredible. I did just buy a few more <laughs> today. That'll get delivered tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't write them down on the list until they get delivered in person. I don't want to jinx it. Yeah, that'll interfere with the other 40. Actually, when I was trying to take the beer out for today from the fridge, they all just fucking fell on me. Like, <laughs> they're stacked up like, all over the place. Like every like, John no. Candy movie? Yeah. I opened up a, a fridge that just had John Candy's lunch in it, and everything just piled out on me. <laughs> but, but I still, like, I just save one of every, every four-pack I buy. I just put one away for the podcast. We'll find a use for you. Yeah, certainly. Like this beer. <laughs> oh, I just got jizzed in the face by that. This is called, What Even Is Circus Peanuts Anyway? Which is it's a weird sentence. From Evil Twin, New York City. And it's an imperial stout with caramel and circus peanuts. That's 12.5% alcohol. Circus peanuts, like the actual peanuts, or like those uh, foam shitty things you get in the bodega for those old, money? Yeah, the old-timey candies, which are just marshmallow. It's a marshmallow candy. And this it's a firm marshmallow. smells like marshmallow. Mm. It is wonderful. It is a, a great, and I don't know why they chose to put this out in like... And both in like mid July, <laughs> like, because they can they turn out a new one every fourteen seconds. You know what people need? It's ninety six degrees, a twelve and a half percent stout that tastes like marshmallows. <laughs> That's perfect for this kind of weather. Uh, it's a great beer, but circus peanuts because well, if you haven't figured that out, fuck you. Back to the cult. First, Artie was sort of the leader of the circus because he kind of took control. I mean, he was the most popular attraction, but he took control, and now he's like leader of this cult. And, you know, his message, at first, you know, people are, like, proselytizing this cult for him, you know, but also, you know, around the circus performances and stuff like that. And it kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like thousands of people. Yes. Part of the story is told through the eyes of, like, a newspaper reporter who was trying to figure it out, but he doesn't quite. Uh, meanwhile, the little kid, the the one with telekinesis, has been working with the doctor like this whole time and basically learning to do all of these surgeries, even though he's like, you know, five, six years old, but he's also providing the like pain relief. He can like turn off, you know, people's pain during the surgery and stuff like that. He can also like telekinesis being not just like he can move like a a truck or like move like he can like move almost like atoms or like bacteria level. Like he has to, use his psychic powers to remove the germs that grow in Arturo's taint when he can't be scrubbed well enough from swimming in the tank. But he just makes them go Did into the nether. Did you say taint? His taint. I think it was his tank. No, no, no. He does it in the tank, no, no, but he and, also does and, it in his taint. Oh. In the well, taint, right. yeah. Because <laughs> uh, Ollie's always scrubbing him <laughs> and oiling him down, but he gets rashes in his taint from the, the bacterial buildup, and he's like, get the psychic boy to remove the germs from my taint. So he's like a psychic bidet. <laughs> Over the period of time, like the the parents, like the mother and father, they're like less important. And it's really more about the kids and their conflict with each other. When the Siamese twins turn 18, they decide to sell their virginity. One does. One does, but the <laughs> other doesn't. Oh, yeah. They also don't always get along. That's... Uh, that they at one point slightly earlier than that they literally like f- have a fist fight. <laughs> They're literally like punching each other. And the, well, the biggest thing that they disagree over is is already the cult leader kid. Like he's like the wedge that gets in between them because yeah. one likes him. He likes one more than the other, or one of them. Ellie likes him more. is kind of a mean bitch, but she also knows that Artie Sees is bad that he's news, dangerous. and if he is the nice one who likes him. And there's a lot of weird incest vibes and actual incest in this book. Well, it's sort of psychic incest eventually. It's like yeah. psychically guided. So they decide to sell their virginity. Olympia finds out, like, almost right away, and then you find out that they are using their piano teacher sort of like as their, almost like their pimp, or he's, you know, you they, like, 
either through, I mean, the internet didn't exist at the time, at the time this book takes place, or 1989 when this book came out. So uh, anyway, they somehow, like, through guys at shows, they see people interested in them at shows, but they're literally selling their virginity. They're, they're basically fucking guys for, like, thousands of dollars. But then, at one point, Artie sends one of his goons to, like, watch the girls or protect them, apparently. The bag but man. really, it's to, like, yeah, the bag man, which way earlier in the very beginning of the book, when all the kids were still really, really young, he had actually tried to shoot them and kill them, but then a bunch of crazy stuff happened to him, and then he, like, killed his wife, but then he, like, escaped from the, like, mental institution. No, he was living with his mom or something like that. Anyway, but he has this totally broken face because he tried to shoot him up, shoot himself in the face, but he missed. So he's only slightly fucked up. He's very fucked up. I mean, he's very <laughs> fucked up. He, like, doesn't have a jaw. He only has one eye. But anyway, he didn't die from it, you know, because he missed. He walked it off. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he goes and he sort of becomes this, like, you know, cult slave to Hardy. Enforcer. Yeah. And he's, like, watching them. And then he catches the girls with some dude that, you know, was going to give them a ton of money. And then Artie says, and he's hurt. He's like, why did you do that? Because basically you find out he wanted to fuck them and he was sad about it. So to punish them, he decides to have the bag. He's like, oh, now you're going to marry the bag man. This like weird, like crazy person. But they like arranged to have in the, in the twins, the Siamese twins are like, no, stop it. But then nobody like really believes them or nobody has enough power to really stop uh, Artie. So, but except when the bagman is fucking them, he the mother literally runs in and shoots him and kills him. But they become pregnant anyway. Well, as he got shot, he shot something of his own. This is my symbolism win for this book. Did you guys notice her name was Lilith? And what the name Lilith the is? Mom? Yes. The biblical she, character? Uh, the biblical character, Lilith, Adam's first wife, became the mother of monsters. Oh, she spawned all the demons and monsters and, and things. And a 90s fem rock. Yes. Of Sarah <laughs> McLaughlin fame. <laughs> she was like really into animal shelters. <laughs> oh, that's that's a, that's some good uh, ELA class. Got it. Of, uh, freshman, I mean, freshman seminar crap right I'm there. I'm pretty proud of myself. That's, that's, mo- that's pretty much all I got out of this book. But we'll talk and about that later. their name is Benuski, which is some sort of like... Polishy, you know, Yiddishy thing, and Adam was Jewish. So, well, actually, he wasn't. Abraham didn't exist yet. Never mind. <laughs> like, is, did you say Boychik? Boychik is like a Yiddish Boychik. thing. Yeah, he called him Boychik. That's 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 like a, a Yiddish term. So then, uh, Artie, in order to punish the twins, the Siamese twins, some more, decides to have Ellie, the one who doesn't like him, decides to have the doctor give her a lobotomy. It's the, the kids want an abortion, but instead he gives one from the lobotomy. And so literally, so for a while, there's like one, you know, conscious or, you know, normal Siamese twin, if that's a, if that's a thing. But, and then one who's maybe, literally who's not functioning, who's like drooling all over the place and has to be held up. While they grow a baby. Um, while they the grow a baby. baby in the world. Yeah. Then they have the baby and it's, 26 pounds <laughs> and it's just the world's fattest baby they talk about how they're like a double wide torso at that part so maybe the baby just but has more room to grow one set of legs they must be very strong those are some serious hips well 26 pound baby is a uh, i hope she had a c-section i think that's like i mean obviously i'm not sure what we're worried about like what is the uh Realm of believability, but I'm pretty sure the heaviest <laughs> baby ever born is only like 22 pounds. I remember that from the Guinness Book of World Records. I'm frightened that only that's even a real 22? thing. 22. I'm googling it, and 22 pounds. Oh, and it died 11 hours later. It was born in 1879. Okay, that's and the mom was a giantess. Okay, there's a whole mess of details here. I don't <laughs> I need to process. <laughs> When an eight-foot-tall woman had his baby, you're like, oh, that's, that seems reasonable, 22 pounds, actually. It's proportional. It was 28 inches long. Holy shit. 
Jesus Christ, it's like giving birth to a third grader. <laughs> I'm not good with sizes, but it's a large baby. Uh, I have a child who's not a third grader, and she's a lot taller than 28 inches. Close enough. That's almost as tall as Ollie is at adulthood in this book. It's like she gave this woman gave birth to a Vern Troyer. <laughs> okay. So anyway, and then the and then the baby literally like breastfeeds so much that the 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 Siamese twins they're like completely emaciated. <laughs> they're completely like <laughs> cannot provide enough milk. But then the boy chick, he's like slowly using his powers to help Ellie get better, like fix her. But then and this is sort of like the most dramatic part of the whole book is all one day. So first Ellie more or less like wakes up, but then, uh, or, or is sort of like, you know, conscious enough again. And she kills the baby. Meanwhile, Mumpo. and then, yeah. What was the name again? Mumpo. Mumpo. Yeah. That's a great name. He's like, <laughs> if he saw thing. her, if he saw the baby and knew, just called him Mumpo, knew that was the right term. Like, okay, great. Knew that was the right name. <laughs> anyway. So then if he kills Ellie with the scissors through the eye and then Ooh. also dies. And so that happens. And then immediately after that, the circus tent blows up. And I didn't exactly understand because, why that happened. Uh, Chick, Chick he levitates himself because he's telekinetic, run, flies over to the tent where all the cultists and Artie are and blows himself up with the power of his mind and burns everything to the ground. He had the power of fire somehow, all of a sudden, but that's what happened. He basically just suicide bombed the cult and killed his brother, and his dad was in there too, apparently, because all that's left alive is Ollie and her mom, who is basically a senile drug addict at this point. That's the end of the flashback. That's the end of the flashback. And then you sort of go, you know, sort of flash forward to what is the, the present day of Ollie as an older person. And what she does is sort of befriends the crazy lady, the Miss Lick, who, like, because Miss Lick, Mary Lick, isn't very attractive, what she does is she, like, either... She pays for attractive, for attractive young women to, like, get hurt or deformed or something like that so that they decide to not focus on being pretty, so they decide to focus on being smart, and then, like, they do these amazing things. But it's really just because she's jealous of women that look better than her. That's kind of... She, she tells, she tells um, um, Ollie that she is not... Uh, she does not know that Ollie is the sister of Arturo, but she says, you know, like, I'm not one of that cult people, but I definitely, like, I fuck with it. I vibe. I get what they're saying. So was, she's also a, just a weird, weird lady. Makes, likes making ugly girl... Makes, like, pretty girls into uggos so that they'll become scientists, which is how that works, sure, certainly. And she wants to take off Miranda's tail so that she will then stop stripping and men will not want to bang her because she has a tail, but she'll still be attractive. So, uh, I don't know. It's a net win. (laughs) (laughs) She's fine. Well, maybe she's going by that. um, I think Chris Rock have a bit about like for every, every pound overweight you are, pick up a book for every 10, buy a computer. (laughs) Yeah. The joke, like if you're, if you're not attractive, you need to be smart. Yeah. Maybe she's ascribing to that. Well, she saw, like, she saw um, some girl in her high school, was it? That was like a cheerleader. And then she got into a car accident or caught on fire. And since she was no longer able to be like a cheerleader and be like the pretty girl, she ended up becoming like a scientist and having a bunch of patents. She's like, oh, I could do that to more ladies. And just like he said, at first she just tried making people fat. She just gave them thyroid conditions and made them all fat. But then American one girl, like, like killed herself because she got too fat. She was sad. She's like, so I had to do it differently. It just started, you know, making them weird. But that's her life goal. Many of us go through life without any goal. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, who are we to judge? It's good to have, you know, a drive to do something. So Ollie, like, befriends this person, the Mary Lick, and gets to know her. And, like, he's like, oh, I had her teaching me swimming lessons because that's a thing that she does. Yeah, say Nate that that sounds like if uh if like Robin Hood had to write a Cardi B style song, it would be called The Merry Lick. 
which is what you just <laughs> called her. <laughs> it's like, do the merry lick. It's like, in my head, is that's all I can think of now. <laughs> Sorry. It's like a really, it's really, dumb. really weird thing. That's my problem. But Holly, she's like having Mary Lick uh, teach her to swim, but really as just cover her to like befriend her and stuff like that. And then during, she sets up this whole thing and finds out that Miranda is going to have the surgery and it's about to, because it's just about the end of the school year and it's going to wait till that part. Uh, so when Mary is in a like hot tub thing, except it's not a hot tub. It's a special super chlorinated little foot, foot bath foot pool to keep yourself to, to keep you from getting foot fungus, I guess goes like sets up this thing where she dumps in ammonia. Yeah. And then I guess if you mix ammonia and chlorine together, it makes this mix chlor uh, mustard gas basically, isn't it? You need the foot fungus in there too, though. <laughs> It's an important <laughs> constituent part. Basically. But then Mary doesn't, like, quite die, just is, like, kind of messed up. So then Ollie shoots her and then shoots herself. And that's kind of the end. That's, like, the end of the book. And then she leaves Miranda a letter, like, hey, I'm your mom. Sorry. And it sort of seems like you get the frame story for the book at the very end, which is, oh, all of this was sort of me writing to explain to you, my daughter, Miranda, who you re- who I am and all your family and what's happened and stuff like that. And then, and that's it. Then that's the end of the book. It's a good, it's a good time for everybody. Just like the circus. It is just like so the circus. I have a beer that <laughs> describes this book. This is called Zonk. <laughs> <laughs> this is by Grimm, which is kind of like, that, yeah, that's how I feel. Also, about it's book. quite grim. <laughs> it's very grim. <laughs> quite grim. Anyway, this is Zonk. This is a triple IPA. Oh, that's a lot of IPAs. So it is. It is. It's a lot. A lot of IPAs. There's three of them. So it's ten percent. Ten percent alcohol. One pint. Group brewed by Grimm in Brooklyn. I want to. It doesn't have the hops on here. They do all those like sours and stuff and. Yeah, usually they're like, ooh, that's a gym sock in a can. I mean, it's a strong IPA. It's not it's not particularly sweet, particularly sweet or anything, but you know, it's fine. It's good. It's just kind of a strong IPA. Do you get any particular hop flavors? You know, this is a little bit old, so no. Uh I did have the other three and I thought they were fine. But that was a while ago now. Just kinda tastes like IPA to me. Which is not a bad thing. Does it taste like it's ten percent alcohol? No. Uh, not necessarily. No, I mean, it tastes strong, but mm. 10% is very strong. So anyway, it was a very strange book. And, but, yeah. it, and it's like, it started out weird and then got even weirder is, is kind of how I would uh, describe it. But for the most part, I liked it. it I, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. And it was a nice change of pace from the other books we've been doing recently. That's definitely true. Yeah. So definitely. I was like, oh, how nice. This is good. I like this. People I enjoyed fucking reading it. love this book. Who does? People? Many people. It's like a cult classic. I mean, it was recommended by two separate uh, listeners of just ours. It, like, basically, she got nominated for a National Book Award out of nowhere for this weird-ass book at the time when people thought this is a weird-ass book and shouldn't even be on the list. And it's still like popular to this day. Like, it make, I think it made more money... Or like I read an article that was written a few years ago that said it made more last year than it had, you know, any other year. Like it's still going. If anything, it's bigger. It's just one of those like cult classics. Well, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is it was nominated for the National Book Award, which there are a lot of categories to the National Book Award. So if if you just glance at a bookstore, like it seems like everything wins a national book award. When they called her to but, say she was nominated, she said, "What is the national book award?" Is that true? Yeah, really? <laughs> that's all. And she brought a copy of all the other nominees' books to have them sign it at the ceremony because, like, she was you know just a very, she had ne- she hadn't written anything for fifteen years before this book, and she never finished another book after this. A lot of her stuff was about boxing. She was like a professional boxing journalist. Which is really odd. More surprising, honestly, than the, anything in this book was the fact <laughs> that this, was like this woman who was born in 1945, 
and was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna corner the boxing journalist market. Kind of unsurprisingly, the way she grew up was basically like as a nomadic hippie, with like an artist mm. mother and like you know working odd jobs. And her dad ran gas stations, and they were just kind of like moving all over. And then she went to college, and then with her boyfriend in college, just traveled all over and worked odd jobs randomly and doing shit like that, and eventually settled in Portland because that's where the hippies were. But she says she went to work slinging hash at a breakfast diner and working nights tending bar in a biker tavern. So she grew up, you know, doing odd stuff all over, meeting a lot of weird people. So that part makes sense. Boxing? Sure, I guess you get into a lot of fights working in a biker tavern. (laughs) It's just a... I, 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 my research was limited to Wikipedia, basically, and uh, the first page of Google research, uh, search results. But there's a lot of talk about her writing as an editor and contributor to boxing magazines. Her last unfinished book was about boxing. She has something coming out this year. There's something coming out this fall. It's called, like, In the Cut or something? Because um, that no, that's the one she was writing when she died. Or was writing, the and then she died. Maybe it's that, I don't know. Well, hold on. Because uh, unfinished, I don't know. I just, I just see that she has a, a book, pub, according to Wikipedia, of course, she has a novel coming out in fall of 2020 called Toad, and she has a short story collection coming out in 2022. A so Toad was a book that she wrote before this and then abandoned. So maybe they put it out, like, patching it together. raid Prince's vault and just, like, release stuff he didn't want released because he's dead, you can't stop them. They're going to do that with Toad, maybe. Because I read there was a preface... Preface? Pre- preface? Um, there was a preface in the I book. I think it's pref a c. There was a profase in the... Proface. Proface in the proper Italian. In the version I had that said, she was trying to do like a stupid joke where she was going to write a bunch of books that if you put them on a shelf next to each other in order, they would spell out Attila the Hun. So she was writing books that started with one, like one thing that would, you know, be like, the first one was Attic, and her next book was um, Truck. And then she was like, then she, then she was doing Toad, but she couldn't finish it. She's like, I don't know. And then she'd do it Geek Love. Like, ah, fine, whatever the fuck. That plan was never going to work out anyway. She was a weird lady. Well, no. That is the strangest. That's stranger She's super than weird too. And this was a weird book. She, is, she was kind of not as, bit, not as weird as this book was, but she was a weird lady and did a bunch of weird stuff and... Did her own thing and never wrote anything after this, or never finished a book, a major book after this. Yeah, it's looking, it's like really random. And crap. there's no G in Attila the Hun. So, well, yeah, she was writing Toad. She's like, fuck it, and then she did <laughs> geek love. It's like, ah, fuck it, whatever. Well, so that's one question. What's the title? Like, I mean, they meant geek love is what that. That's the name that Miranda when Miranda's pencil sketches Olympia. That's what she calls mm. the drawing. She died. I call this geek love. Well, they say at the beginning of, of this thing, geeks were a thing in sideshows back in the day. And it was basically, uh, wasn't necessarily a mentally impaired person, but it often was. It was just, a, sometimes it was, it was either someone like something was off and they were just taking advantage of, or they were just making a living the best they could. Or it was someone who just did this because, I don't know, for fun. The geek was the person who would bite the head off of live chickens. And that was the act. So it was Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they use other things, but mainly it was chickens, I guess, because they were readily available. But, I mean, that's how the Banuskis met. He, his, his geek, at the beginning of the book, leaves town to go back to run his family's brokerage. Uh, and <laughs> one of the workers is this lady, Lil, and she says, I'll do it. And she, like, bites the head off of chickens. And by the end of the book, her teeth are all fake because she ripped them out, biting the heads off chickens because it's hard work. But she's also like transcendently good at being a a chicken biter. I mean, it also helps that she's an attractive she's a, lady. Yeah, and it's like this strange, horrific vision. Yeah, of this woman in flowing robes eating chicken heads. We also left out that the father of Miranda is when uh, when Chick uses his psychic powers to move sperm out of Artie and into Ollie. So he she's an incest baby. Psychic incest, which is which is a great name for a prog band. Yeah, it is. But psychic incest, because you know you just want to think about it. You don't want real incest. Yeah, it's just... you just take the sperm, none of the action. But before that, you know, she all she... the consequences, none of the fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird. 
<laughs> Before that, she was uh, somewhat romantically involved, but not really, because she only really ever loved Artie with the Pinhead, which was another old-timey circus uh, sideshow someone act. My- microcephaly? Yeah, it was basically just someone with, like, birth defects. I was like, look at that person. They're dumb. Haha, <laughs> that's the act. Okay. Well, I think they had, I mean, they'd find people who had the birth defect that their head was small. I mean, that's one of the birth defects from Zika virus is microcephaly. Yeah. 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 So in a couple of years, circuses are going to be just fucking stocked. <laughs> As those circuses don't exist Brazil. anymore. Yeah, like your whole, the whole back of your head is like shrunken in and it does have a more tapered look to it. It's like someone like grabbed the back of your head and just like pulled on it. So it was like a, like a Hershey kiss shape. It's like if you were a really stubborn baby and they just used a plunger to get you out. <laughs> yeah. That's what it would look like. Yeah. I think that happens sometimes. Not like a toilet plunger, okay. but they have a special vagina plunger. <laughs> it's a thing. A vagina plunger. You can't use the toilet one. It's unsanitary. No, you'd have to do a lot of douching after that. It's <laughs> really not cool. I found this uh, thing about why she wrote this book also. Cause I, was, I, looked, I looked up a lot about the book because, honestly, I didn't really like it very much. Yeah, I saw that. Um, you have three stars. Well, yeah. But she wrote it, says she was walking around with her kid and she saw a bunch of uh, roses in someone's garden and they were all like different kinds. It's like, oh, it's like these roses were bred this way and our God are thinking about nature versus nurture and, you know, a lot of family oh, yeah, shit. Like different colors. Yeah, or like I different get, kinds of petals too. and like, you know, weird shapes and shit. And so it was basically like opposite of the Nazis. She got, eventually, her thought process was like, they're trying to make perfect people. Like, what about if someone tried to make the opposite of that, like people that were, you know, by conventional standards, just wrong. My problem with the book was that it felt like three or four books mushed together and none of them were complete to me. Hmm. Like there was a whole book that could have been made about this traveling family in the circus. And like that could have been a whole thing. There was a whole thing that could have been just about being a freak show. There was a whole thing that could have been about a cult started by a circus guy. There was a whole thing that could have been about... One of the kids has fucking telekinesis, and he's barely in the book. It felt like there was a lot of like really interesting parts, but none of them was really like big enough to make a whole thing. Like The cult doesn't happen until halfway through, and I was like, oh, finally, they get into the cult, and it's going to be weird from this point on. But it's not really in it very much, aside from the fact that it's like a background thing happening. They don't really get into the cult, aside from like a few expl- explanations of it. But nothing really feels... It, fe- it feels like, like a big stew, but nothing really stands out. And there was, I, I liked every individual part, but it never really felt done. It is a dense book. There's, yeah. It's very, very detailed. I, 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 I really liked it. I thought it was really well written, had a lot of interesting, crazy, weird shit. Some really funny phrases, like the part where they talk about the guy, what's his name, Horst? Horst, Horst was like the, the cat the, man, the cat guy. which I was the very sad guy? was not a man cat, but just a guy who controlled <laughs> the cats. He was just like an extra from Tiger King. Yeah. Uh, but he, he had a line about, oh, he was talking about some girl he knew in Texas, and I highlighted this because I thought it was just really funny. And it's just, he kept talking about, what was your name? Tuxbury, Tuberry, something like that. He kept talking about this broad. Yeah, Roxanne Tuxbury, or Tux, it looks like it says Tuxbury, and this is pronounced Tuberry, who ran a motorcycle repair shop and was undismayed by the indelible stench of cat in a man's chest hair. Like, there's just, <laughs> it's just, I thought it was really fun to read. I liked the language of the book. And the story was so weird and bizarre that I actually kind of cared what happened. I, I, like, this is, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. It felt a bit to me like if Ask Goblins of Auschwitz was a competently written book <laughs> that wasn't just weird like LSD dreams, yeah. but was actually, you know, I'm going to make it a plot out of things that weird, almost that weird, not quite that weird, but almost that weird, then this is what it might, might come out of it. I thought something similar. That, so we've read a, we've read several of these like fucking up, purposely upsetting books in recent memory, and I thought of this, and I thought uh, I thought of uh, not this. I thought of 
ash goblins, and I thought of cows. Definitely like, cows. Vibe those were books. They were trying to be weird and disturbing, but that's all that those books accomplished. Whereas this book, I don't think I don't think she was going for. Let me try to be as weird as I can, and maybe a plot will come out of that. So it had a very different effect. Whereas, whereas in like cows, you're like, oh Jesus, what the fuck is this about? This is gross. In Geek Love, I was like, wow, this is interesting. And it just so happens to take place in like on the set of Carnival, that fucking HBO show. It's a great show. It was. Yeah. Ended too soon. too soon. Didn't get to finish it. Uh, Nate, did you see that? No, you didn't. No, no one, no one did. That's why they canceled it. It was really good. Yeah, the, I. I I was wondering, like, is this somehow related to that whole transgressive, weird book stuff? But I don't think it is. I think it was just weird. Now, is she saying something about cults and there was definitely religion? A, uh, I don't know about the organized religion. Like, thing. maybe it's it's definitely you could read well, into it. Cult, certainly. cult and organized religion. It's like it's a numbers a, game. A blurry yeah. line at some points. Well, she did write um this. I wrote, wrote this points. line down. Uh, when they're asking um, if, when Ollie's asked if she could make her siblings normal, she said, that's ridiculous. Each of us is unique. We are masterpieces. Why would I want to change into assembly line items? The only way you people can tell each other apart is by your clothes. Hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I, I totally, I get the, I get that aspect of the message of, you know, like, it's good to be yourself. Do you. And that's fine. I totally want people to, you know, do you. I, li- I liked was that when we when you guys said we we're going to read this book and it's like it's about a sideshow thing and a cult. And I was like, great, I that's awesome. But each part just felt like there wasn't enough of each part, or there was too much happening for any part to really come through or really be fleshed out. Like the first half of the book is mostly just character exposition. Like there's chapters yeah. about how he uses sure. the telekinetic kid to do pickpocketing. And I was like, okay, where does this go? It went nowhere. And to, and to uh, play black, uh, not blackjack, roulette. Yeah. To, to, and then for fun, just to practice would make other people win bets. Yeah, people that, <laughs> people that needed it. Which, you know, it, it was fine, but then it ended up meaning, being meaningless. And they basically just used the kid for psychic surgeries. Well, that whole part with the betting was when you find out that, so the part we're talking about, the dad takes chick to go gambling and pickpocketing, and then eventually they, like go to, they go yeah. to a casino, and some guys in like track suits are like, "Oh no, it's Russian mobsters." They come in and they're like, "Oh, you you seem to be winning a lot of bets tonight, Mister Banuski." And he's like, "My name isn't Banuski because he's staying under a different name." And then they they rob him, and they threaten to drown the son. And then you find out it's because Artie sent the he paid those guys to do it. Yeah. And then Artie's big regret is, and those guys stole his money, so they basically got paid twice. Yeah. <laughs> and that was all part of, that was, I mean, that was, you think that that whole scene is exp, exp, exposition to show about the dad and the, the psychic kid, but it's really more to show you how... Artie's a shitbag. Wicked Artie is, yeah. yeah. That in his, his, his uh, quest for... Lust for glory. power. Yeah. The cult, another thing, it was like supposed to be like one of the central points. Aside from explaining how it works, they don't really, aside, and aside from his initial like propaganda speeches, they don't really talk much about it. It just becomes like background noise for other things fairly quickly. Yeah. Well, here's, a, here's a theory that I've made up right now that sounds like something I can get away with in English class. Sure. Isn't, that kind, isn't this kind of how sideshows work? You're overwhelmed with these things, and nothing stands out anymore. Right? Certainly, yeah. you have these ridiculous characters and these ridiculous scenarios, and you go from one to the other, and you walk around, and you're like, "Wow, that was nuts!" And your overall impression of the whole thing is, "Oh, that was that was gross, or that was crazy, or I can't believe that." Yeah, I mean, it, maybe I, that's, I mean, part that of, that's part of it. Could I don't believe she intended that. I think you could say that in English class and get away with it, but I don't think. Yeah, I don't think she meant that. It's certainly possible. I mean, I, yeah, I don't think she intended that. I don't know. I mean, I liked each individual part, but as a whole, I thought it just it felt kind of disconnected. Like the whole frame of like her in the future, kind of felt unnecessary. 
Well, then how would the plot have ended? You know, we just ended I don't know. I mean, it would have been a slightly different book. But it just ended when they when that chick blew himself up. I mean, I it could know. have been her wandering off pregnant with his sperm ghost baby thing. But I don't. I mean, I, it would have been a different book, certainly. But it it, it felt kind of. It felt like adding another plot line. Like, either the book needed to be way longer or way shorter. You know what? I don't know. It's a weird book. I really liked it. It was so different than what we've read lately. I was thankful for in that. In many ways. I really actually enjoyed reading it. Most of the, a lot of the books, I've been just, oh, you, uh, fuck more of this. <laughs> and just skimming. Yeah. Or just like, fuck it. I read this five years ago. I'm going to read the Wikipedia page and I'll be fine because I can't bear to do it again. This book, I actually really enjoyed sitting and reading it. I will, maybe I'll try to find one of her other one and a half books. She has two others. And, and some more coming back from the grave, you know, beyond the grave, like uh, Tupac. Yeah, she's tupac in it. This was, for the National Book Award, the things that were also nominated that year, interesting, because some of them are very famous. So the this was also nominated along with The Joy Luck Club, which is a super fucking famous book. Okay. I actually had to read that in high school. High school because English class. there were no Asian people in New Hampshire, Nate, so you had to read about them. <laughs> <laughs> There is some truth to that statement. <laughs> this is what they're like. Let us learn about their ways. Also, uh, Mambo Kings plays Songs of Love, which is a very famous book. Um, an E.L. Doctorow book, Billy Bathgate, which ended up winning the National Book Award Critics Circle Award, which is like like the bullshit critics. Are like, this is the book we really think should have won nonsense. And was um, what did E.L. Doctorow do? for the Pulitzer. His biggest thing is ragtime. That I oh know. god, I hated that. I book about book. getting your period. Oh yeah, I don't. I'm not sure that that is what it's about. But yes, <laughs> I think it's about assembly lines. It's about immigrant stories. We should read it. It's super famous, and everyone reads it. In I school pretended to read it in high school, and I hated it then. Oh, me too. I actually read it as an adult. I ended up liking it. And the book that won, I've never. So all the other the other books I'd heard of it. The only I never read any of the other ones, but I've heard of them at least. Uh, and like, oh, I could tell you something about them. So I can make a crack about New Hampshire or something. But John Casey won that year with a book called Spartina, which its Wikipedia page is literally like one sentence. It's like, this book won the National Book Award. And it's like, this is a stub. You could help. And I've never heard of John Casey. No idea who he's from, uh, where he's from or what he did. Some guy from Worcester, Massachusetts. Oh, Worcester. 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 (laughs) I only know this because I recently saw episode one or two, one or two of this Michael Jordan thing that everyone watched. But it's like you oh, know he was drafted third or second, and Sam Bowie was drafted yeah, first. The fu- who the fuck year. did he do? Nothing. Uh, well, he didn't even invent the knife. Was second. Sam Bowie. Well, I mean, part of it. You know, th- that's famous. Like Tom Brady was drafted like a hundred and ninety eighth or something ridiculous like that. So yeah, you, know, you never know what's you never um, know what's going to work out. That's true. And sports are a little different because they're they're been, they're picking based on what their they their team needs. Yeah, you know. So Sam Bowie was was a seven foot tall center from wherever, and they're like, oh, we need a really strong center. And this guy, this kid, looks like he's the the best. Forget about that dude from Africa, uh, Kim Olajuwon, who is you know one of the greatest players of all time too. Um, Sam Bowie would end up being a, a fucking total bust in the NBA. Picking an award for best book of the year, I mean, I, I guess you could. There are similar issues, I suppose. But what what is the best book? Is is pretty vague. It's, it's like you know, uh, album of the year in the Grammys. Like people win that shit, and then no one ever hears from them again. Or like best new artist. It's like who like the fuck is Bonnie that? Bonnie Ver, <laughs> Christopher Cross. Like there's a lot of famous best new artist is almost like a cursed award at this point. Yeah, if you win it, you almost are guaranteed to do nothing again. It's famous. If you look it up, like, look who's won that award. It's garbage. Though the Beatles actually won it, I should say. And you never heard from them again. <laughs> Six years later, they were done. Technically. Well, like, Billie Eilish is, won that it. That is recently. true. Yeah, she no, won. No, we don't know what's going to happen to her. She could be trash, but she could also be big. The weirdest winner, Bob Newhart won the award for Best New Artist. The actor? The what comedian? <laughs> yeah. The guy from fucking, what was that show? The Bob Newhart when show. When he wakes up and it's all a dream or some shit? Because so uh, Bob Newhart had two two big sitcoms. One was called, 
like the Bob Newhart show, and one was called Newhart or something like that. And I forget the details of them, but I used to watch them on Nick at Night. And he basically, the second show, the second series he had, the the season finale, he woke up and it was on the set of the first show with the wife from the first show. He's like, it's a crazy dream, <laughs> <laughs> which is fucking brilliant. And they copied- wasn't that also a parody of that soap opera? Uh, well, that was who after who who literally there's soap opera uh, who I forget basically they killed off this character and then ratings went way down and then a year later they're like oh he he comes back and they basically hire him back and they make everything that happened for the previous season just a dream like he wakes up oh honey I had this terrible dream I it think was probably a- every season of every soap <laughs> opera <laughs> there was um Breaking Bad copied that exact Bob Newhart thing. There's a, on the DVD of the last season, he wakes up on the set of Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> <laughs> and he's in the bed with the mom. From, he's like, I had a crazy dream. And he's got hair and shit. And then as, it, as the camera pans away, you see the Heisenberg hat sitting on his chair. <laughs> it's amazing. So Geek Love was recommended to us by two listeners. And since they give us money, we had to read it. Hint, that's how it works. Um, <laughs> I liked it. Jimmy's ambivalent. Nate, you like it? Sounds like I thought it was a nice change, and I enjoyed reading it. Yeah, yeah I, I thought it was fun. It was new. I had never heard of. I had no expectations going in, which is not that I know every fucking book, but like we tend to read famous books, so you kind of know something about it going in. It was nice to not know anything. Just it was like it's a weird book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Cool. Who should read it? If you're into weird stuff, you should read it. <laughs> yeah if you like very weird things very strange very strange things then it's definitely for you i'm not sure everyone would like this book but it's a book anyone can read it's not impenetrable it's not like so dense that you know you mo- like people couldn't get through it it's actually very readable so i don't know i would encourage people to pick it up i mean people still yeah. like it 30 years later for a reason yeah, I guess so. But it's weird. Very weird. Oh, yeah, it's weird. Tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on uh, Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And if you've listened this long, don't wait until the conjoined twin next to you stabs you. Leave us a review. Just write up to five stars, one for each uh, mutant child in this book. And, and give us some money on Patreon. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Take the hint. Yep. <laughs> and check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.